This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, welcome to episode 25 of Sustainable-ish. Today's episode is all about growing your own. It's the stereotypical image of sustainable living, isn't it? The kind of good life ideal of being self-sufficient in veg. And the temptation is to go all out right from the start, take on a huge allotment plot, and then before we know it, it's taken over our lives. Sarah Venn has been on the show before back in episode four, where we talked about the power of community gardening and projects like Incredible Edible. And she got in touch with me at the start of this year to ask if I'd be interested in doing an episode on, I don't know, a kind of grow your own light or maybe grow your own ish. So this episode is for you if you love the idea of growing some of your own fruit and veg this year, but you're just not sure if you've got the time or the space or even what you should be growing. And it's also for you if you've tried before and you've failed. I'm holding my hand up here. It's packed full of really practical tips for those ordinary mortals amongst us with busy lives and families, but who want to work out some ways to incorporate a little bit of grow your own activism and pleasure into your routine. I've collated as much as I can of the information and the tips into the show notes, which you can find at www.asustainablelife.co.uk forward slash podcast so do pop by and have a look and as ever if you enjoy this episode please do share it with your friends and your family and on social media and let's spread the sustainable-ish word enjoy hello Sarah welcome back to the show hello thank you very much for having me again I think um yeah you're the the first person at the moment to have a second um a second show so it's very wow. very exciting wow that is exciting um so for those who might not have listened to the first episode which I think is episode four where we were talking about uh, community gardening and incredible edible can you introduce yourself to any people yeah sure so I am a horticulturalist I have lived a fairly sustainable lifestyle my entire life but probably didn't realize it at the time um i believe really deeply in the kind of the power of community and people coming together and just kind of getting on with making change themselves and as such i am the lead and founder of incredible edible in bristol um where we support people to just take those lost and unloved spaces and turn them into beautiful productive gardens um but I'm all about supporting people and not about doing it for them. So I think that's really important when you're making changes that you actually work out what you can do for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And that's yeah. 
we were just talking before we started recording the the kind of premise of sustainable issues working out mm. the changes that you can make and then mm. being able to implement them yourself yeah um, and you got in touch with me on twitter didn't you saying you'd love yes. to have a chat about uh, sort of grow your own as a yes as, as a step towards um so it's, it's, it's the most obvious. I mean, so, you know, I have people coming to me all the time. Oh, how can we grow our own? Oh, I'm going to take on an allotment. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to do that. And, 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 you know, and I, my first thing is always just stop and take a step back and think about what it is you want to achieve. Because if you've never grown anything before in your life and you've, you know, you're a young family and you've got 2.4 kids and, you know, you're trying to kind of fit this whole life idea into what is your life already it's quite complicated and growing food takes time and you know you just said to me Jen that you're impatient and lots of people are impatient and you know there is that thing of oh we're just going to take on an allotment and it's probably quite difficult to find out just exactly what that means you know often they're big pieces of land that haven't been managed or worked for ages are covered in weeds and you are going to spend a good three months just digging brambles um and you know i have to say i'm a, I'm a hardened allotment holder that's not fun um yes. you know and it's particularly not fun if you've got young children and you've put this pressure on yourself to lead this particular lifestyle so yes. i just thought it would be really interesting to look at some kind of simple ways in that will fit in that then you can incrementally add more to yeah and you talked um when we first sort of ding-batting this backwards and forwards on Twitter about rather than going sort of hell for leather and, and then failing, thinking about or talking about ways that people can do it, as you said, starting small, step by step, and uh, just yeah. working out, okay, is this bit going to work? Because I've often thought, oh, I'd really love to have an allotment. And we've got allotments, like five-minute walk up the road. Mm. But I know that in the summer, it would get to nine o'clock every evening and I go, oh, crap, I haven't watered the plants. Yeah. And then it'd be like, oh, God, I've got to go all the way up there. And the reality of of an allotment is that if you're going to have an allotment, the, the National Allotment Society say that you will need once it's sorted and organized and you've got it planted you will need around eight hours a week to wow. spend up there now that's a whole day's work yeah so there are there are ways and means of getting that down to less than that and i do know people who run allotments on less on less time than that but you know that's that's kind of your average thing that's a whole lot of time if mm. you've got kids alive yeah you know, and all of that stuff. And it's definitely a lot of time to just suddenly find out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I just think we can go through and look at some ways that people can create, you know, grow some food that is, you know, meaningfully and well-grown without it becoming a massive stress. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I found as well, I say I found, my parents had an allotment mm. and my mum loved going up there and pottering around and gardening, but they just then didn't have the capacity to, to eat, physically eat all the stuff that was produced. <laughs> no. um, so I think that's really important as well as yeah. that whole, you know, start with the end in mind. What do you want? Uh, no, but absolutely. I mean, I would say to anybody in their first season growing any food, what are you going to do with that aubergine once you've yeah. grown it? Oh, I don't like aubergines. Well, yeah. then why are you growing it? <laughs> you know, you really do have to have that conversation with yourself. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think for several years in a row in our garden, we grew broad beans and I was like, I hate broad beans. Why are we growing broad beans? <laughs> well, 
you were giving the aphids a home. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was sweet. Yeah, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. So, so where is a good place to start then if we're thinking? Well, and is this, is this the time of year as well? Because I always, I always get to around May and I'm like, oh, I'd quite like to grow a bit of stuff this year and I'm too late. Yeah, so it, I would say it's a little bit early now. Okay. Don't, don't do anything until March. And the reason that I say that is there are people all over the place going, oh, we must sow some seeds or we must get some stuff in. But actually, it's a little bit early. We haven't actually had any winter yet. Mm-hmm. So we don't know whether or not, you know, what's going to happen or whether or not we're going to get a bit of a blast. Um, and, and the 1st of March is the ideal time to start really thinking about it. So having said that, There is one thing that you could do now. Anybody could do this and you don't even have to step outside. Um, There are some amazing things called microgreens, pea shoots, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which you can grow on your kitchen windowsill and you can grow them 12 months of the year on your kitchen windowsill. And basically all you really need is a tiny weeny little bit of compost and a tray um, and the seeds which you can buy as microgreen seeds from any reasonable garden centre now. Um, And, you know, it's things like baby kale, baby lettuce leaves, um, baby radish leaves, all of that kind of, you know, tiny little green stuff, packed full of nutrients, really delicious, great thing to grow with small children because they're quite fast. You'll get a turnover in three or four weeks. Um, And you can do that any time of the year on your windowsill. So what do we do with the microgreens once we've grown them? You chop them off and you pop them on top of a salad. And they're just a delicious bite of mini whatever it is that you've grown. So um, we have people here who grow sunflowers. And effectively what you're doing is you're growing, you're growing this, you're just germinating the plant and letting it grow a little bit. Right. So pea shoots being the prime example, pea shoots are absolutely delicious. They taste of peas you can buy a box of dried peas from the supermarket. They will work perfectly well. Um, Just, and literally just put as many as you can possibly get into a tiny, into a little seed tray, Um, cover them with compost. They'll come up, let them grow so that they're about, I don't know, four, three, four inches tall. Just chop them off and eat them. They taste like peas. They're absolutely delicious, but they're packed full of nutrients. So they're really, really good for you. And, um, so you said chop them off. Are there, is that the kind of cut and come again that people talk about? They don't, yes. I mean, sometimes they come again. They're, they're, they generally don't. Okay. I mean, a box of peas is like 50 peas. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you can get three or four trays out of one box. And they, they you know, really fast. Two so or three once weeks, you've you chopped, know. you would then, what, compost them away and start then? again. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and that's something we can do all year round. And the yes. other thing, I mean, cut and come again lettuce, is that something you can grow all year round? Um, so you can grow some of them all year round. Um, the winter mixes are slightly hardier and, um, and I wouldn't, I mean, you can, you need to be aware of when you're sowing stuff like that. So the last sowing is October and then the next sowing again, I would say is the beginning of March. So that, that if you sow enough, obviously in October, you'll have enough to see you through, but yeah, it's, um, it's quite difficult to be self-sufficient completely. Yeah. And can you grow that indoors or does that need to be outdoors? No, it needs to be outside. If you grow it indoors, you'll just bring every every little pest and disease <laughs> into the house that you can possibly imagine. So don't do that. <laughs> and we have tried one of those ones from the supermarket that you get that, um, you know, is supposed to sit on your windowsill and cut. Yeah. And all really bitter. What am I doing wrong? 
or if I get well, the wrong you're variety. probably not doing anything wrong. They're probably just really bitter varieties, right? I have tried those, and I have to say, I think they're a great idea, but they're overpacked with plants. Right. So they tend to, I've always found that they just tend to get a fungal disease and kind of die nice. unless you take them apart. I, I, I yeah, I, I'm not a fan. I mean, I, what I have done in the past is I have bought them and then literally gone by, okay, taking them apart and grow them as separate things. Okay. But I don't think that they're great. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good uh, tip. So we've said 1st of March, unless we yeah. want to do the microgreens. Yes. Um, and then one of the questions I had for you was seeds or seedlings. Well, so here's the question. I would always say if it depends what you're, why are you doing this? Okay. Do you want to be a grower or are you just interested in growing some food for yourself and your family so that you can kind of have that link to where your food comes Mm -hmm. from? I don't think there's anything wrong with going to a garden center and buying plants. There you go. I've said it. I've said it before. People always look at me and go, oh, but shouldn't everybody be insane from seed? And, you know, no, they shouldn't. Let's let's work on something that we know is going to work. Yeah. So, you know, go to a garden centre, buy a well-grown, reasonably brought on plant for a couple of quid and and get home and put that into a bigger pot. Yeah. um, And look after it. That's much better than worrying about seedlings. Yeah, and when you do, and also if you buy a packet of seeds, you know there might be twenty seeds in the packet, and I know what people are like. People are going to sow all twenty of those seeds. What are you going to do with twenty tomato plants? <laughs> and I think we've tried doing some. My husband went through a phase of growing basil and right. from seed, and and we'd have these little sort of germinator things on the windowsill, and um, but then they, it's really hard to get the moisture levels right, and they'd end yeah. up getting a bit furry and mouldy yeah. and. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, basil from seed, it, it, it is not difficult, but <laughs> we made it difficult. <laughs> if, if you've got it, you know, the thing is, I mean, somebody said to me, somebody was all surprised the other day that their houseplants were still growing. And I'm like, well, your houseplants are still growing because you've got them by the window in a house that is centrally heated. Yeah, that, that's the problem. Most of these seeds, not necessarily basil, but some of these seeds need quite cool temperatures to actually germinate. And they will get all sorts of weird disease, uh, fungal diseases on top if it's too warm. Yeah. So, so yeah, go, go buy a, go buy a tomato plant go and find go and find one that you know in the supermarket you are not going to find that variety you know go go and find something that's interesting that makes you go oh yeah we've never seen that one before and and do that Mm. and pop it in a pot you know grow it on every time it starts to look like it's not growing anymore put it into the next pot up make sure that you feed it and water it but you know if you're an absolute beginner and you're really worried about time and how am I going to fit all this in just do it with what just do one mm. you know yeah. make sure that because because next year you can do two yeah and feed you said feeding there yeah i'm quite happy with watering and i know that plants need watering feeding no idea so with anything that is tomato family um that's not true either Okay, so with tomatoes or with chilies or um, aubergines, um, any of those sort of Mediterranean tropically type things, um, as soon as you see the first flower appear, start to water with a good 
tomato type feed. Now, I'm not going to go into what MPK and different feeding regimes mean, because that's just silly. But you just basically need a tomorite or an organic tomorite equivalent. And we'll be able to find them at the garden centre. That will be in all in all good garden centres. Um, and just once a week with whatever it says on the packet to do, mm-hmm. just that will be that will be enough. Okay. And even once you've, if you end up, because we planted some out, mm. and then they all, um, there were loads of them, and they were all green, and then they suddenly, did they get, is it blight? Yes. Um, but we, we never fed them. Well, there you are. You have to feed them. And is that would that stop them getting blight? That nothing is going to stop them getting blight. Um, yeah, that is that is the the other thing about growing tomatoes in this country is that blight is an absolute pain. So um, tell people what blight is if they have. So blight is a, a fungal disease that comes along and effectively blackens the stems of your tomato plants, goes all the way up, blackens the leaves, and then eventually blackens and kills the fruit. Um, it's we get it because we're wet and warm mm-hmm. and there is nothing that can be done about it once it hits a specific kind of temperature and and humidity it's in the air and it's yeah we we get it far worse in the west than we do in the east um this whole thing about oh you know you have to grow tomatoes in a greenhouse very often the reason why people say that is because if you can shut a greenhouse door you're not going to get blight oh, okay. um there are there are varieties that are blight resistant. There are years where we don't get blight. So we didn't get blight last year. Last year was blight free. It was delightful. There were tomatoes everywhere. Yeah. Um, but it is just one of those things that you have to be aware of if you're growing tomatoes. Um, and there really isn't anything. I mean, chemically, I think there probably are things that you could use, but I wouldn't advise yeah. it because, yeah. So sometimes, I mean, I, you know, I have got to that horrible point in the past where you've gone, oh my God, we're just about to have this huge mm. thing of uh, harvest of tomatoes. And then literally within three days, they've all gone. Um, and it's really demoralising, isn't it? I think it's one of the things that really put me off. I was like, oh, yes, it is, it is really demoralising. But equally, it's really great when you actually get that one tomato that you can go, yes, that's okay, I can eat it. Yeah. And And it does have to be said, it's worth, it's worth sticking with because there is nothing better than a tomato straight off a tomato plant. Yes. Yeah. And you can do, I've seen people grow like cherry tomatoes in hanging baskets and strawberries in hanging baskets. You can grow loads of stuff in hanging baskets, cherry tomatoes, strawberries, herbs, lots and lots of stuff. Um, that you know we'll just get on with it things like nasturtium so that you can eat the leaves mm-hmm. um and the flowers all of that kind of stuff will do really really well in a hanging basket and that always um, seems and to me if you're going to go to the hassle of of putting if a you're hanging gonna, basket up yeah. you might as well have something productive out of it no absolutely i mean you know they are they are not the most easy thing to keep going because right. they do require huge amounts of water and again feeding because you know they're up in the air which is not really where soil and plants yes. are really meant to be um but you know they 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 can be really productive um wild strawberries i don't know if you've ever seen wild strawberries they're really tiny right um you can buy them in most garden centers really really tiny they're like they're like a beautiful just burst of strawberry flavour in your mouth. They're, they are beautiful, but you will never see them in the shops because as soon as they're picked, they're, they're, already, you know, they're going off. Oh, um, okay. So you need to literally eat them straight off the plant, but they're really good in a hanging basket. Oh, cool. And yes. 
I think I said to you, you know, we, we grew broad beans and I didn't like broad beans. And yes. so we decided if we were going to do growing, we were going to do stuff that A, we liked and that yes. B, was really expensive in the supermarket. Yes. And I think that's really sensible. I think, you know, lots and lots of people who are hardened allotment holders and, and grow your own types love to grow different varieties of onions and all of this kind of stuff. But actually, if you're going to spend your time spend it on something that you probably would go, Oh, but that's really dear. Mm. You know, that, that's, you know, or something, something that you can't get. I mean, yeah. that's the other one, you know, lots of people who grow chilies, grow chilies because the varieties that they like, you can't buy in a, in a shop. Right. Um, you know, I think that that's a really good thing to do. Yeah. So um, we've got a strawberry bed and we've got some raspberry canes and yeah. those are fairly, I may be wrong in saying this, but I see them as fairly self-sufficient, self, you know, they, they, they do, are pretty much. I don't have to do a huge amount and we get delicious soft fruit for yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah, of absolutely. Weeks. I mean, you know, things like blueberries, um, there's a, there's a whole load of different types of berries that you can get that aren't blackberries or raspberries or, you know, tay berries, Worcester berries, all of that kind of stuff, which are really delicious. That's, you know, those are all worth looking at. Um, but yeah, pick something that you wouldn't buy in the supermarket, I mm. think. Um, yeah. Definitely. So, so we're saying first of March, we're saying yeah. start, be, be realistic about the time you've got and what you want to eat. Yes. Um, what other things should we be thinking about? So I think, I think what's important, I, I mean, I think it's quite important that if you've got kids to get your kids, kids involved. Yeah. Um, and you know, just some sort of little things that I've sort of done with people over the years is if you're, you know, if you've got, some plants and you've got you know you know that you've got to water them and they've got to be watered on a daily basis give that as a job to your kids to do because there's nothing better you you know people say to me all the time oh it's pointless me doing this because my kids won't eat veg your kids will eat veg if you grow veg yeah I can absolutely 100% promise you that and if you let them think that they've grown the veg they'll be eating it you know like it's going out of fashion um <laughs> and they you know they will i've seen kids tuck into the most bizarre things you know because well i grew it so i'm jolly well going to eat it you know yes. and i think that's great so i mean what i often suggest to people do is to do as a sort of starting thing is to put a watering can next to the pot or the place where you're growing whatever it is you're growing yeah and just say you know make sure once a day that that watering can is filled with the right amount of water for that plant and leave it to the kids to do it you know let them let them look after it let them sort of discover the plant and what the plant's doing and how the plant's behaving Mm. and you know that it just it gains that interest from them um yeah that that I mean that for me that's really quite important um and you know involve them in the conversation about what it is you might like to eat I mean we always grow always grow little cucumbers so you can buy yeah and they're you know they're sort of I don't know three or four inches long I always thought cucumbers were really hard to grow well not really I think about little cucumbers then so little cucumbers you you need either a big pot or a space in the ground and you need some canes for it to grow up that's pretty much it so they Um, don't need warm temperatures especially not especially no not I mean some do but you can you know you've you've just got you've got to go to the garden center you've got to read the packets okay 
and the packet will say indoor growing or outdoor growing and the ones we grow are always outdoor growing varieties so um thompson and morgan sell them i know i know for a fact that the ones and do we you use... buy specific mini cucumber seeds or yes do you just pick no they're a specific mini cucumber seed okay. um and and you you know you 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 do have to start them off on a wind on a warm windowsill so could you buy a seedling of that or would you would but you, you probably could buy a seedling of that okay. um, but if not they're not they're really not difficult to get going um and then you put them out in the garden once all risk of frost is mm-hmm. gone so sort of early may um and and they just you, you do need to make sure that they're attaching themselves to the to the um to the canes yeah. and if they aren't then you do have to give them a, a helping hand uh-huh. Um, but they'll grow about six feet tall and they'll be dripping in cucumbers, really? tiny little cucumbers. And they're ideal for lunchboxes. I was just now, about that's to say why that I are. grow them. Yeah. I haven't had a child who's had a lunchbox now for 10 years, but it's just habit and I still grow them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're delicious. And yeah, you cannot buy them in the supermarket, although I did see them in one of the very expensive supermarkets last year, and they were very expensive. And I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, you could buy a packet of seed for the price of six of these tiny cucumbers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, have a whole summer's worth of them. And all you've got to do is exactly the same as with tomatoes. You've just got to remember to give them a weekly feed, and Bob's your uncle. And so do you feed them, this is probably the stupidest question ever, do you feed them the same stuff you would feed yes. tomatoes or is it a different? Yes. So anything that is fruiting, right. okay, this is where it becomes really, really easy. Anything that is fruiting will take tomato f- feed. So when because, you say fruiting, you mean... So anything that's creating a, 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 a fruit, effectively, mm-hmm. so a yeah. tomato, a cucumber, a butternut squash, whatever it is. Yeah something that's creating something as opposed to a leaf so you know salad leaves really don't take any yeah any feeding yeah but um yeah so that's that's what i mean by that brilliant so um cherry tomatoes we're thinking are good berries and things are good mini cucumbers yes anything else that's particularly good for beginners oh gosh i mean there's a whole load of stuff you know beans beans Mm -hmm. are really interesting so i would say to anybody who is a parent grow a bean yeah, and then go and buy a packet of beans from a supermarket because they will come from Kenya, and yeah. have that conversation with your children because it's really easy for them to go. But it was really easy to grow those beans, Mum. Yeah. Why? Why are we buying them from Kenya? They'll they'll always be thinking that in their mind. Yeah, um, you know, out of the mouths of kids comes horrible truths at some yes. point. And I can remember a child saying to me in a gardening session once. Miss, that's nuts. Yes, it is. Um, So, you know, that's a really interesting thing. But equally, they're really easy. They don't take much space. You know, you can just buy French bean seeds, which literally in the ground, in a pot, keep them well watered. They will just grow and they will, you know, they will bring you joy. Yeah. Because they taste delicious. And, you know, you can, you can, you can harvest them when they're properly ready so that they're a little bit before they would be in the shops and you can eat them raw and they are just and the other thing I mean I have to say peas and children Mm. there is nothing better than watching a child eat a pod of peas yes um and you know they're they're not difficult you've just got to give them something to scramble up yeah and and Bob's your uncle and so beans they need feeding as well Everything, everything needs feeding. Jen, everything needs feeding, (laughs) just like we do. You know that thing where, yeah, just like we do, but they don't need feeding as often as we do. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember to feed the children. I do quite well with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was just thinking as you were talking then, what we should have said at the beginning is some of the um, benefits sustainability wise of growing your own. Yes. So, I mean, there is the whole conversation about understanding where your food comes from, Mm -hmm. I think. And there is the whole thing about recognizing that growing your own isn't that easy. It takes time, it takes patience, it takes learning. Um, And so I think that, you know, just from understanding how we live our lives, I think that's quite important. Um, But I also think it's important to recognize that, you know, we live in a a world where we assume we can have everything all of the time. And you can't have everything all of the time. If you want asparagus and you want to grow asparagus, you can have asparagus for about four weeks of the year. And that's it. And and it should, you know, the thing about these things that are intensely seasonal is that they should be a delightful treat at at a point in the year. So, you know, you should be just looking forward to it and, and, you know, relishing it and and not just assuming you can have it all the time because then it's just a product, isn't it? Mm. Well, it's um, the same with strawberries, isn't it? I, yes. I do not let the kids have strawberries unless they're in season. Well, strawberries at Christmas. Why do Why do you need strawberries at yeah. Christmas? The same with tomatoes. It was really funny. My husband, who is he loves a tomato. It does have to be said. Left tomatoes on the side of his plate the other day, and I was like, "What's wrong with your tomatoes?" He was like, "Oh, it's it's winter, isn't it? They just don't taste like tomatoes." Oh. So, you know, let's live seasonally. Let's understand what that means. And, I, do you know, I think that's really important because I think, I think we have this overriding understanding that, you know, we have this hungry gap and, and people assume it's winter. But actually, there's loads in the ground now. There's, you know, there's kales and parsnips and cabbages and, you know, all sorts of sprouts and winter yumminess and the, yeah. the, the actual hungry gap is kind of April, May, um, you know, and I think it's important that people kind of get into that whole rhythm of the way the, the earth kind of feeds yeah. us Yeah. Um, without wanting to get too hippie about it. Um, but, you know, it, it's important to know what is actually, what is actually ready when. Yeah. Yeah. And the hungry um, gap um, that you referred to, that's, the period when here in the UK we have a gap between the sort of the stuff that grows really well in we the do. and then the stuff that that's starting yes. to come in the summer. And yeah. the so, so, you know, there is a gap in sort of April and May where everybody goes, oh my God, there's nothing. And mm. there isn't. I mean, you know, and lots of box schemes will very openly say we, we buy in yeah. from, over that period. I know that, um, I think it's the Riverford British box. They stop for two months. Oh, really? Because they just, they, you know, they acknowledge we haven't got anything to give you, so you're going to be hungry, yeah. or we can just give you something else. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge, particularly right now when there seems to be a bit of a, oh, but it's fine, you know, we can grow all our own food. Hmm. <laughs> Not yes. just overnight we can't, folks. Let's yes. be, you know, let's be realistic about that. And but that, that's interesting, isn't it, that during the second world war definitely you know the whole dig for victory thing and people turned their front gardens into growing spaces and every little bit of land was utilized wasn't it well it was but you know that's really that's a really interesting campaign ursula bucken is a 
um, garden writer and historian who wrote a really interesting book about it a few years ago. And, and it's kind of, it's something that I, it was a very successful marketing campaign. Yeah. In terms of the actual amount that we grew, there was very little difference. And a lot of people were very, very hungry. Um, yeah. So I, you know, that whole self-sufficiency thing, it's not, it's not something that, you know, is, I know people do it and people do it really well, but people don't do it who have also got two jobs, two children, a dog, a life, you know, it's, it's really hard work. Yeah. yeah. And so that whole dig for victory campaign is a prime example of how to market something. Um, But in terms of the reality of what it produced, um, you know, yes, it helped for sure. It helped, but it was far more about, you know, the, the good old war effort and everybody can get involved than actually, yeah, we've grown enough potatoes to feed everybody. Yeah. And I think what you said something there about, um, self-sufficiency, you know, it Mm. is possible, but I think that's really important is if somebody wants to air quotes, live more sustainably, the temptation is to say, well, we're going to be self-sufficient. But actually, no. as you say, that will take over your whole no, life. Don't don't do that. Just there are, going for yeah for a couple of months, or you know, maybe we can buy strawberries without any plastic packaging, or maybe we yeah. can buy um, lettuce without plastic packaging this yes. year. Or just aim for one. Or look at you know look at look at what's important to you. Support mm. your local economy. I think you know find find your local shops. Find you know all of that stuff. Try and avoid if you if you if you really want to kind of go down that line yes avoid avoid stuff that's air freighted in Mm. avoid stuff that's flown all across the world look at what's you know what's available now or what would be available now to you if you were in the UK buy UK produce yeah um but yeah don't don't think that self-sustainability is something that you can just and and also be aware of the fact that there's a whole load of stuff that we rely on on a daily basis that we can't grow ourselves yes you know yeah. we're not you know you're never going to keep yourself self-sufficient in something like I don't know chickpeas or lentils or I mean I grew lentils last year oh my goodness you'd have to grow fields and fields really? and fields worth just for one family yeah I mean it you know it, it don't just don't don't go there just you know be a bit more aware of what you're buying and where it's from I think yeah and there is um you know if you type in I can't even think what the search term would be, something like, you know, what's in season in the UK. Yes. Yeah. There, are, there are whole tables and things there are. you can find, yes. can't you? For, for, because we've so lost touch with the seasons and, and as you say... Oh, completely, we, completely we have. Um, and, you know, that's not entirely, I don't think, our fault. I just think it's the way that the food system has kind of worked its way through. Um, and, you know, we just need to say, well, actually, enough now. This is what we want now. Yeah. And and I do think as well, you know, that we are consumers of food. And if we shout loud enough, people will listen. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has to eat. So we all have the potential yeah. to, to create a little I bit of difference. I read something the other day that it only takes about 20 letters, emails, whatever, to a shop. And they will start looking at the way that they are marketing stuff. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's really encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was like, oh, really? Is that true? I mean, I don't know. You know, I have nothing to nothing to follow that up with at all. But I just think, you know, as consumers, we do have the ultimate power. 
Mm, yeah, you know, I'm a, a big fan of our yeah. sort of consumer power. Now, if people don't really have much space, mm. um, what can they grow in pots or on windowsills? So this is this is this will cheer you. I grow all of my food in my back garden. My, so I have the tiniest back garden in the world. It is literally smaller than my front room. Um, I grow absolutely everything in pots. There is nothing you cannot put in a pot. Even potatoes you can put in a big enough container. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, anything, anything and everything, just go for it. So what kinds of things do you grow in your garden, in your pots? So I had, so last year we had, what did we have? We had beetroots and French beans in pots. We had mini cucumbers in pots. We had three different varieties of tomatoes in pots um we had chilies and kale and lots and lots and lots of pots of different types of salad leaves um and then I've got a tiny little border that I also put some kale and some chard through which we ate but we basically grew as ornamentals um so so yeah I mean and and I had at one point I had a squash growing up the side of the house that was in a pot so there is nothing that you cannot put into a pot so you know even if you've just got a balcony or you're just going to put something outside your front door Mm. or whatever you know anything will go in a pot fab and I think one of the reasons that lots of people might want to to grow your own is to try and get some some fruit and veg that isn't encased in plastic yes um but then obviously you know gardening as it the modern way of gardening isn't entirely plastic free seedlings come in little plastic things and bags of compost come in plastic have you got any tips for sort of reducing plastic use in gardening oh do you know i walked into a very large superstore not that long ago into their gardening section and could i just could have laid on the floor and cried mm. because the you know the the amount of stuff that seems to be around the whole gardening thing yeah. is just utterly shocking um Having said that, I don't, you know, there isn't much at the moment today that we can do about things like plastic pots and plastic Mm -hmm. seedling trays. And and all of those things are reusable. I mean, I've got seedling, I haven't bought a seedling tray for years and I've got seedling trays that I've probably had for 20 years. So if you treat them well, you know, they are things that will go on giving for you. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't, I don't buy them, but you end up buying plants in things which you can then use. Um, There are some things coming onto the market now that are made of bamboo. There's some wooden stuff, but it's all very expensive. And, you know, I'm not sure how, I haven't used any of it, so I can't say it's great. Yeah. Um, But there are some things that I think you can avoid. Um, so I and I always say this to people if you're starting on your your sort of gardening journey it's not you know you're not buying things that are just for a week or for a month you're buying things for life so you know see see what you can beg steal and borrow in terms yeah. of tools most people have grandparents or whatever who you know will quite gladly say oh yes I've got a fork that I've had since 1932 Mm. um you know and and look at why they've had that fork since 1932 oh well it's beautifully made it's got a wooden handle not a plastic handle you know all of that stuff we don't need to use um plastic labels just buy buy wooden lolly sticks yes you know eat enough ice lollies 
or eaten enough ice dollies. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the downfalls of not having any children at home. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's all of that stuff. Just don't buy into the hype would be yeah. what I would say. It, you don't need plastic in your garden. Yeah. It's become um, another know, um, retail opportunity, hasn't it? For the, It has, unfortunately. And I think we really have to be very, very aware of that, is that, you know, you've only got to walk into a garden centre to see that, you know, garden centres make their money, not mm. on plants. Um, and you just have to avoid it. You know, just don't don't buy into the hype. You don't. Yeah. And, and, you know, if something is endorsed by somebody, you don't need that. <laughs> you just need something. You know, you need a spade. You need a fork. Yeah. You need a pair of snippers. Y- you know, you, you need some compost. And we will we'll touch on compost in a minute. Um, and, and you don't need a lot else. You can use terracotta pots. You don't need plastic. You yeah. do need to be aware with terracotta pots that they do dry out quite quickly. Right. Um, in particularly if it's warm so you know you just have to be aware of that um but yeah that you know there's just 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 avoid the hype and you'll avoid the plastic yeah and I would say the same for anybody starting any new hobby or any embarking on anything maybe for the first so so with gardening for the first season like you said see what you can beg steal and borrow yeah. and then if by the second year you're thinking I really enjoyed that we yes. were really you know I'm wanting to take this further then have a look at investing in some really yeah. decent stuff that were, is made to last but also I think it's that whole thing isn't it people can pick up hobbies and and ideas and and, and it suddenly it becomes a consumer opportunity yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just step away from that don't yeah. don't do that yes yeah. you know that's where the problem is for years and years and years you know people bought bare root plants and seeds and that was all that they had available to them and they managed so yeah. you know it's not it, you you don't you don't need that stuff people yeah and have you ever tried growing seeds I see things on Pinterest all the time for growing seeds in like egg cardboard egg boxes and then theoretically I think you can just plant them put the sort of plug so in yeah there. I mean I every year I grow sweet peas in um in toilet rolls um, oh, brilliant. and you can just yeah because it's it's cardboard it breaks down yeah and it actually it's good for the soil because it adds carbon to the soil uh, so yeah just anything like that will will work a treat um there was something though that I just have to say that I saw last year and that was somebody growing seeds in half of an of a what not is out grapefruit Oh, okay um and and that won't work too acidic yeah i was gonna say it'd be acidic yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah anything anything that's paper so and i mean you can buy those again but you have to buy it that little thing that makes um pots out of yes, newspaper, newspaper. Yeah. it's a bit faffy i have to say yeah yeah um yeah don't, don't i mean again something that's great for children to do but it is a bit faffy and if you've got to make 500 I wouldn't advise it um because you will throw the thing across the room and yes that might be the voice of experience um but yeah I just I just think yeah just you know be sensible and can you now buy I might be imagining this but Mm. I I think I've seen somewhere seedlings in almost sort of um coir like the multi-plastic seedling trays we're used to seeing but in sort of coir versions of that or if i just oh, i don't know i haven't seen that there oh. is there are herbs available by a company that have a have a coir pot um but i haven't seen them in terms of seedling okay. trays. it would be nice to think that somebody might yeah um yeah but again coir how sustainable yeah 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 if it's been dragged all the half the way half across the world around. um yeah uh, yeah so re- we're talking at the same it's reuse, it's reuse. reuse. The- absolutely and yeah. I think you know 
also I know that there's been this whole thing about you know old pots and whatever just take them back to your garden center and, well, and they if they say well if they say we don't want them just say well neither do I leave <laughs> them there you know I think I think that's our consumer right yes. to say well actually we've spent quite a lot of money on this plant with you we're expecting you to sort it out and it just needs 20 people exactly. <laughs> to do it and maybe they'll start yes. thinking and some garden centres do actually actively promote that, don't they? They ask people to bring their pots and their things yes. in. Yeah, and, and you can do swaps and stuff, mm. which is great. So, yeah, I would, I would advise that that's the way to go, really. Brilliant. And you said uh, compost. Oh, yes. So, so compost is, people go, what do I need? What you need is to not use peat. Okay. So yeah. the, the garden centre world has been asked to voluntarily reduce peat consumption professionally by 80% by 2020. They are not going to do it. It's very sad. Wow. As, as consumers, I think, we, I think a lot of people assume that peat is no longer a thing. Yeah. I but it very much is. It's, and, and I see almost daily at the moment new composts appearing. Um, I saw one not that long ago that was 60% peat, and I nearly wow. fell off my chair. Um, and, you know, peat, people saying oh but peat is a sustainable resource this is a sustainable peat field it takes two thousand years for them to re whatnot so i'm not listening to that sorry (laughs) um but there are some brilliant compost out there that are peat free and um yeah that's all you need is a good all-round peat free compost okay brilliant um and the other thing that i've written quite large on my (laughs) um is slugs oh now so so okay the thing about slugs is that they are just there yeah there is not anything that any of us can do about them and and and, you know I had this conversation a few days ago on Facebook they've recently said that the the original metaldehyde type blue slug pellets are being what knotted out they they were as I think 2020 you won't be able to buy them anymore I was really shocked to hear somebody say, I'm going to start stockpiling. Really? Like, no, no, no. They kill wildlife. That's why they're being got rid of. Yeah. Um, so there are the thing about slugs is you have to have a whole barrage against the blighters. Um, and, and, you know, it depends on just how squeamish you are. So I have to be completely 100% honest with you. I hate them to such a degree that I go out there with a pair of scissors. Do you? But that's what most people do. <laughs> so I'm not suggesting that everybody does that. But what so you what, can once do... Once you've chopped it in half, what do you do with it? Well, actually, I leave it where it is because it it, it, it sends a message to its friends. That, does it actually? Yes. Um, so I, I'm quite harsh, but beer traps work really well. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are all sorts of other products on the market that kind of put a barrier around them. So does copper work? I've seen the copper um, strips. Does that work or is that just a... So it's never worked for me, but I do know people that it has worked for. Okay. Um, I think what you have to do is if you're serious about your garden, you have to be prepared to go out there morning and evening whilst you have small plants and do something with them. Now, there was a piece of research a while ago that said that slugs and snails will travel a mile and a half back to where they see is their home really so chucking them over the garden fence <laughs> is not going to work people um 
but you know maybe I don't know maybe put them in a bucket and take them somewhere if you can't bear the idea of dispatching them um a bucket of salty water dispatches them quite quickly yeah you know all of that stuff if you've got a pond chuck it in your pond okay um but yeah but you know you there there does have to be a level of dispatch with them yeah Um, we did I don't have the magic answer I mean the magic answer is just don't put plants out until they're big enough to be able to cope with some right. amount of damage. Yeah. That's that's the bottom line. So if you're growing from seed and you have a particularly big problem with slugs and snails, don't put them out until they've got to a decent size. Okay. Um, and, and then they'll see off some of it and you probably won't lose them all. But the reality is we live on a wet, moist island and I think there are probably more slugs and snails than there are us. Yes. And does growing things in pots make any difference? Well, you can catch them when they're climbing up the pot. Right. With your scissors or not. <laughs> um, it, I mean, it, it lifts them off the ground. So it does, it, it gives you a, it gives you a bit more time to kind of catch them. Yeah. Yeah. But they're determined little whatnot. And, and of course, once they start to have to lay eggs, they can yeah. lay eggs in pots. So yeah. Oh. Um, and some people say, you know like gravel or um broken up eggshells there's a whole load of stuff that they won't go over because they don't like the feel of it on their whatever's um so copper is meant to work because it gives them a little shock like electric shock um things like gravel and sheep's wool anything that effectively if you think of something as being drying Mm. so anything that's going to slurp that horrible yuckiness out of them they won't walk over because it's not good for them Right. Um, but you do, the thing is it works, but you have to keep going with it. You, you can't just use it once. Yeah. You have to keep, you know, keep topping stuff up. But eventually, it, you know, it will work. And if you have a really horrendous garden and you think, I can't do, I, there's no point, I'm just going to concrete it over, you can buy nematodes, which you water onto the soil um, and which effectively kill them. Oh. Um, they're quite expensive yeah. and you have to do it every six weeks. But if you're really, really struggling in your garden, but I would say if anybody's listening to this, who's thinking about an allotment or who has an allotment with a slug problem, it, nematodes will only work if everybody's using them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, whereas they might work in your garden, they're not going to work on an open allotment site because, yeah. you know, yeah. Fab. Right then. So have we missed anything in our whistle-stop tour of, of Beginner's Guide to Growing? Not that I can think of, no. So regular, regular feeding. Regular um, feeding, regular, regular watering, watering, making sure that you've chosen things to grow that you, you know, that you actually want to eat. Yes. Um, I, I think as well, Jen, actually, let's just be really realistic at this point. I always say to people, whenever they come to do a workshop or whatever, the most important thing you have to understand about plants is that they die. <laughs> as a nurse, but, but let me just, let me just, you know, as a nursery person, we would allow for a 10% loss. So if, if plants die, don't think it's you. Don't tell yeah. me you've got a black thumb. It, you, it might be that you've done something wrong. It might just be that that plant wasn't a very happy plant. Don't let it make you go I can't do this this isn't for me yeah 
I think that's really important. Um, so if, you it, know, if a 10% as, a, as somebody running a professional nursery, yeah. that's what they're talking about, then we can expect. No, exactly. <laughs> then, you know, if, if you lose a few plants, it's not the end of the yeah. world. Don't, don't focus on what you've lost. Focus on what you've gained. Yeah, and, and, really and do you advocate keeping a little note of what's done yes, well each year? always. I would always say, but uh, yes, keep a note of what's done well, but also keep a note of what's not done yes. well. Because, you know, that we live on a very strange island and no two places are the same. Mm. And, you know, just because your neighbour can grow something doesn't mean that you can. Um, so, you know, I think it's really important that if you've grown something for a, a, or continually tried and it's continually failed, don't just take a note. No, that's yeah. not for us. <laughs> you know, don't beat yourself up about it. It doesn't matter. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Brilliant. Fabulous. I think that's, um, that's a brilliant place to, to probably end on. Great. Thank you so much because I You're think so welcome. It, it, as you say, it really fits into the sustainable ish thing. We're talking about starting from where we are being realistic about what we can achieve and then sort of making a start and taking it all incrementally in steps. So it absolutely fits perfectly. Absolutely. Great. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks Sarah. Jen. You've been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small. Every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.